Israel has a complicated history. Wars, political tensions, and moving borders have created animosity among neighbors who were once friends. Israel resident and tour operator Aaron Lipkin gives us a local's perspective on Israel's history and how current events are shaping its future. When you separate the populations in, in these different political agreements and you create this ignorance and this hatred, then that's what you get. Understanding Israel with Aaron Lipkin examines what can be done and how Yehovah's plan will restore relationships to bring all people under his reign in the Promised Land. This special teaching is Michael Rood's gift to thank you for supporting A Rood Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in September, we'll send you Understanding Israel on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you two gifts. Understanding Israel with Aaron Lipkin, plus an authentic ram's horn shofar from Israel, just in time for the fall feasts. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts. Understanding Israel with Aaron Lipkin, the ram's horn shofar, and a custom-made wall hanging from Israel, handcrafted in the shape of the word chai, meaning life in Hebrew. This beautiful keepsake contains semi-precious stones from Israel and a blessing for everyone who enters your home. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Rood Awakening International in September. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. Folks around these parts tell me you're pretty quick with that shofar. I am. And that's a, a mighty purdy holster you got there. You sure you can uh, <clears throat> make me one? I am. Dude, why do you keep saying I am? It's the name of God, dude. Yehovah. You know, I am. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> There's only one problem with that, partner. You see, this Sabbath gathering ain't big enough for two shofar. Are you saying we should draw? I am. Man. When Yeshua fed the 5,000 with 11 barley loaves in the Galilee, the Pharisees came down on him because they accused him that he and his disciples did not wash their hands before they ate bread. They did not wash their hands with a negel vesser and say this prayer 
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us concerning the washing of hands. Why didn't Yeshua do that? Why didn't his disciples follow that? Because it is takanot. It is a law which they invented, and Moses said no one is ever allowed to add to or subtract from. But the night of the Last Supper, Yeshua took bread and he put in place a rehearsal that was really put in place by the Kohen Gadol, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek himself brought forth bread and wine to Abraham, and Yeshua interpreted that very thing. Baruch atah Yehovah Elohenu melech ha'olam, hamotzi lechem miharetz. This is what Yeshua put in place, that before we eat bread, that we say this prayer. And as often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him because his broken body was broken for us and by his stripes we were healed. So as often as we do this, as often we do it in remembrance of him. And Yeshua took the cup and he said, Baruch atah Yehovah Array pre Hagafen. The creator of the fruit of the vine, Yehovah, created the fruit of the vine. He said, This represents the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this. Remember me. And remember, I will be drinking this with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Shabbat Shalom. You know when you watch a sequel of a movie, you always have to reference the first movie to understand what's going on in the next movie. Uh, well, that's what we need to do here. You need to go and watch last week's episode if you're going to understand this week's episode because my mind was blown. And uh, Aaron Lipkin, thank you for sharing what you did last week. I'm sure a lot of folks' minds were blown. Uh, and just real short, what we talked about was that not all of the Israelites were in Egypt at the time that we think that all of the, Egypt, all of the Israelites were in Egypt. Ephraim and Manasseh were already in Canaan. Right. And, and this brings up something interesting that we were talking about just before the cameras came on, that when we do a, uh, a Shabbat service, or you do it uh, on Friday nights in your congregation, uh, we bless the boys and bless the girls. And, and in our congregation, we adopt a song from the Fiddler on the Roof movie. And uh, when we bless the boys, it's we make them like Ephraim and Manasseh. And that seems kind of weird when you could choose you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to make the boys or pray that they be like them. So why do we do this? Right. I mean, we, we bless her daughters on Friday night. May God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Mm -hmm. And then we come to the boys and we should bless them. May you be like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Makes sense. Yes. But what do we bless them? We bless them. May you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, why? Why, why, uh, why is Jacob commanding the Israelites in the book of Genesis to bless their children to be like Ephraim and Manasseh. And um, the, the question even becomes more acute if you, if you understand that Ephraim and Manasseh were probably the most sinful tribes in Israel. They were the one that led the rebellion against the house of David. 
they are the ones that were most pagan in the in the uh, the, the, the ten tribes. So you know what's going on here? Why am I doing? Why am I wishing that my children will be like them? So again, I think we, we need to to refresh our minds uh, and refer to what we spoke about last week, and that is the uh, the understanding that the Bible clearly states that Ephraim and Manasseh, the the sons of Joseph, um, were not just these normal Israelites, because their father, an Israelite, Joseph, was also an Egyptian prince. Their mother, Osnat, Bat Potiphera, is the daughter of the priest of On. In other words, what we're talking about here is a family that is clearly Egyptian royalty. And so we have Ephraim and Manasseh who are also Egyptian princesses. Um, and, uh, and what we see from the Bible is that these specific descendants of Jacob are allowed to leave Egypt and go to Canaan. And we see that Ephraim uh, establishes towns and villages in the area of Samaria in Canaan. And we see that Manasseh is inhabiting the area at the Gilead Mountains and the Golan Heights. And why is that important? Because it solves a lot of riddles. And we spoke about the riddle of the half-tribe of Manasseh receiving his tribal land without asking for it from Moses. But there are a couple of other riddles. I'll give you two more examples. The Israelites are coming into Canaan, and they're coming, they're, they're battling against Sichon, a Canaanite Amorite king on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And they're basically in front of Jericho. There are, they can just cross the Jordan and conquer Jericho. What do they do? For no apparent reason, they turn north and battle against Og, king of Bashan, who rules over the Gilead and the Golan Heights. For no reason at all. Hmm. They liberate the areas that we know were part of the half-tribe of Manasseh's land. The Bible doesn't say why. The second thing, that, that the second riddle that we have is, we have two counts of the Israelites, one at Mount Sinai, where the tribes have certain numbers of, of men, and then when we, we have the second count at the plains of Moab, and the numbers are the same. The numbers haven't changed. Uh, the only differences are two tribes. One, the tribe of Simeon, their number decrease considerably, apparently because of the sin of their head, the head of the tribe, uh, with, the, with, the, with the plains of Moab, with the worship of Baal Peor. But uh, the second tribe that has an, 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 a really sharp increase in its number is, guess what, which tribe? Manasseh. Hmm. We have 20,000 more men that appear in the tribe of Manasseh in addition to the basic number that we had in Sinai. And this is contrary to all the other tribes. Where did these 20,000 come from? A third riddle. We have a covenant in Mount Sinai. In that covenant, we have Egyptian Israelites, but we also have multitudes. We have nations that were in Egypt that wanted to be connected to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They go together under one Sinaitic covenant of the Torah. But then we have another covenant at the plains of Moab. Why is there another covenant? I mean, when you sign a contract once, 
it's enough. When you sign a contract twice, something's wrong. I mean, did, did, did the other side didn't keep the covenant? Or maybe we have new people joining. Mm. And so the theory is that the, the second covenant at the plains of Moab is a covenant that doesn't just renew the covenant with God after the sin of Baal Peor, but it also brings together the Israelite Egyptians and the Manasites. Because we need to bring everyone again under the covenant of the Lord, YHWH from Sinai. So the Manasites are introduced to Shabbat. They're introduced to the feast, the biblical feasts. They're all from Sinai. They're introduced to the 16, 613 commandments of the Bible that they didn't know. Right, because they, they weren't part of... They weren't part of the Exodus. Of they weren't part of, of Sinai. Uh, and so then, there you have a, a major reason why there needs to be a second covenant. But then we have a third covenant, okay? Where, on Mount Eval, Moses commands the Israelites to convene together at Mount Eval to build an altar to have everyone standing there, men, elders, women, children, foreigners, everybody has to be there because we have more people, new people that weren't in Sinai. And who are they? Mainly the tribe of Ephraim, who was in Samaria, and again, wasn't in Sinai. And so we have a, another reason why we have this major national event paralleling Mount Sinai in the land of Israel so Ephraim can be joined together to the rest of the Israelite nation under the covenant of the Lord. Very interesting. Uh, and what's interesting, first of all, is that these covenants do not conflict. Right. It's the same covenant. Right. And everyone is being brought into it. Right. Uh, something very interesting is that uh, <laughs> Ephraim, which before the cameras came on, we, we were saying that, you know, a lot of uh, Christianity, uh, once they start to understand about the 12 tribes and they, they see these, these half tribes and they say to themselves, oh, that kind of sounds like me. I am like Ephraim. So they, they see themselves as not part of Israel, but uh, the same general idea. But then this whole idea of, of the typical Christian church that if the, we meet uh, a Jewish person, they are to give up what they know and adopt well, a new and better covenant under, under Jesus, under Yeshua. But we're, what we're seeing here with history is God says, no, that's not the way this goes. Ephraim shall be brought under the covenant, the original covenant uh, of the 12 tribes. Exactly. And mm. we, we see that, that the history of the Bible shows that you have groups joining the Israelites and becoming one. And another example is the, the, the tribes of Jethro. Okay, Jethro uh, later on comes with his tribes to the land of Israel. We know the story of Yael against, uh, against you know, the, 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 the Canaanite general Sisera. By the way, we have another interesting book about that, the, the story of, of the discovery of the city of Sisera the Canaanite general that fought against Deborah and Barak in, in the book of Judges. Mm. So, so the, 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 uh, the house of Jethro eventually joins in together with the people of Israel. So we have different groups joining in and that you're, you're correct. It, it brings up questions about today. Uh, where, where, what is, what is the, where is the Jewish people? Where are, are other 
groups of, of, of faith, Bible-believing people that, that want to become part of the covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where, where, where is it leading to? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the Bible is giving us a model, like you say. But then, you know, now we have, the, the, we have to answer the question, why are we blessing our children to be like Ephraim and Manasseh? We have to, we have to answer that, uh, that riddle that we brought in the beginning. And, uh, and I think that, that now that we understand that Ephraim and Manasseh were the pioneers of the Israelites in the land of Israel. So while the Israelites are in Egypt, uh, the people that are holding on to the family assets, mm. uh, to the inheritance of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the land of Israel are Ephraim and Manasseh. And what is the biggest fear of Jacob? Jacob doesn't want to go down to Egypt because he's afraid that when he goes down to Egypt, the Israelites will stay in Egypt. Mm. And God tells Jacob, go down to Egypt. Don't worry, I'm going to keep my word that I gave to Abraham, that I'm going to bring them out and bring them back to their land. So Jacob is going down to Egypt and he is really fearful of of what's going to happen. And he even makes Joseph vow to him that when Jacob is going to pass away, Joseph will take him and will bury him in in Hebron. Why does Jacob make Joseph vow to him? Because going out of Egypt is an insult to Egypt. It's an insult to Pharaoh. It's saying Egypt is not good enough. Ah. So so Jacob makes Joseph vow so there's no way that, that he can be. Joseph will go to Pharaoh and says, say, I don't have any choice. I have to bury my father. I vowed to him. That was his, that was his request and I promised him. So, so, so we understand that, that returning back to Israel, returning back to Canaan was something that Jacob always wanted, always dreamed about. And so when he's blessing Manasseh and Ephraim and he's telling all the Israelites, you should be like them. You know, today Jewish families say you should be a doctor, you should be a lawyer. So, so what, what Jacob is saying, you should be like Ephraim and Manasseh that are living in the land of Israel. Always remember Israel. Always remember your, 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 where you came from and where you have to go back to. Mm. And I think that that is the meaning of that blessing, the connection to Israel. This is what we're saying to our children. To our, to our boys, don't forget your connection to the land of Israel, be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Hmm. I'm th- as you're telling the story, I'm thinking too, I wonder if there's some connection. And we may not have any material on this question, but when the, when the tribes are spying out the land and they're saying, should we go in, should we go not? Only two say we should go in. So Joshua and Caleb, why is that? And why is Moses choosing Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim to be the one leading the Israelites into the land. Mm. I'm going to shock you a bit now in our audience. Oh, please. But this is another theory that we have. When we read Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 7, the lineage of Ephraim, the whole story is happening in the land of Israel. It's not happening in Egypt. And at Mm. the bottom of that lineage, guess who's mentioned? Joshua bin Nun. Mm. So there are scholars that are asking a question, where was Joshua born? Where did he come from? 
Because the Bible doesn't say that Joshua was born in Egypt, raised right. in Egypt, came on the Exodus. Doesn't say. The only the, the first time that Joshua appears is the war against Amalek in the desert. But if we read the book of Chronicles and we understand that the whole story is happening in Canaan, then possibly Joshua bin Nun is an Israelite Ephraimite. Who comes down to help the, who comes the war down, Exactly. Now, okay. another interesting thing. Huh. What, what is Joshua's name? Joshua ben Nun. No. No? His name is Hosea. Hosea. Oh. And sure. Moses changes Hosea's name to Yehoshua. What does Moses do? He adds the name of the Lord from Sinai, YHWH, to that Ephraimite uh. whose name was Hosea. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because he wants Joshua to lead the Israelites into Canaan because Joshua knows Canaan better than anyone. Joshua was not a slave, so he can fight and he can lead the Israelites against Amalek. And he could lead them against the Canaanites when they conquered the land of Israel. But there's one condition. He has to carry the name of the Lord in his name to submit to YHWH, the Lord, when he goes into the land of Israel. Mm. And, and, and when he's meeting his, his, his brethren in Canaan. I got and, and does, does Moses also do this to sort of sanctify him in the eyes of the Israelites? Definitely. To say, this guy is of of our God, right, you exactly. will listen to him. Yes, ah. yes, yes. Now, Caleb, mm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in Hebrew, Caleb or Kalev, dog? Or, is it, or is that the same word or not? Uh, the, the word in Hebrew is Kelev. Kelev, okay. Uh, and his name is Kalev. Kalev, oh, so, different. So, so the question is, where does it come from? Where does it, where, where, what's, what's its origin? Um, you know, I, I don't want to, to, make, to make things complicated now, but uh, Kalev and the tribe of Judah, um, also there are, are hints that the tribe of Judah was also present in their tribal land, in the land of Israel, during the time of the Exodus, but uh, that's that's more faint. So I don't want to okay. to talk too much about that. But uh, but that that might explain uh, the, the name Kalev, where it comes from. Maybe Canaanite origins, the name, the, the meaning of the name. Uh, it could be Kalev, like a heart, and not a dog. But okay. who knows? It's it's a question. <laughs> interesting. Well, it is interesting that those two came back and said. This is not a problem. Right. We can tell because the Israelites, they can, uh, if we think about this, all the other tribes came from Egypt. They come over to Canaan. They've never seen this place before. They take one look at the folks and go, we can't do this. Right. Meanwhile, Joshua and Caleb say, yes, we can. We, we know these guys. We know we can defeat them. Right. Not a problem. Right. But yet no one will listen to them. Right. And, and, and Moses knew that the Israelites would count on a, a fighter who knew the land and, 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 and we also understand why Joshua is the one that came and said, the land is good and we can take it because he knew how. Mm, very interesting. Okay, well, we got more to talk about. Okay. So, so hang on. Thank you for bringing uh, Aaron to us. Uh, it's Aaron Lipkin is our guest today and we are talking about all kinds of fascinating things, many of which I've never heard before and possibly you have never heard of either. And so we want other folks to hear this brand new teaching as well because you know each one of us learns this at 
the time that we learn it, it's new to us. And there are folks out there who have not heard this yet. It's going to be new to them. So will you make it possible for this to be new to someone else? You do that through your donations to A Rude Awakening to help make this go to other folks into the future. Thank you in advance. We're going to give you a couple minutes. Thank you. Hey, thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. It's your support that helps bring new ideas uh, to our audience, to you, to others in the future from folks like Aaron Lipkin, who joins us today. And uh, Aaron, before the break, we were talking about these native Israelites that were the, uh, the half-tribes of uh, Ephraim and Manasseh and how they were there even though the rest of the Israelites were in Egypt and possibly maybe this is why they had such confidence to say to the rest of the Israelites when they went into the land, we can take these people. It is not a problem. Uh, meanwhile, everyone else was fearful. Uh, and in the midst of all this, there is a, uh, there's a forgotten feast. There's something here you've to told me about during the break. I, and I'm very curious, what is this forgotten feast and what does it have to do with coming into the land? Um. This is, uh, again, we're, 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 we're talking about something that is not being spoken in the Bible um, um, openly. It's not, it's not, you know, they're not talking to us about the tribes being there in the book of, of Genesis or Exodus or, 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 or any of the books aside from Chronicles. So, so we really have to speculate but we're not, we're not doing these far-reached speculations. Uh, we're doing things that are really based on, on the reality of the Bible. So, um, so you know, we're, we're, let's, let's, let's look at another riddle. Um, but before we do that, we have to understand that what we have is a, a group of Israelite, Egyptian Israelites that are coming together with their Hebrew, their Israelite brethren that are living in the land of Israel. Both groups have similar but a bit different ways of understanding God and commandments and connection to Israel. And these, these um, differences actually appear in the Bible as well. In other words, when, when, when we look at the Bible, we think about one book. But that book is made out of many books that were written in different time periods by different prophets in different locations. And, and so the understanding is that, that's, that some of the chapters or the verses in the Bible are also, they also originate from the early traditions of the tribes of the native tribes. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Uh, there is a horrific story in the book of Judges. Uh, we read about uh, the tribe of Benjamin that molests an Israelite woman. This is the story of the concubine. I'm sure many of our audiences, uh, the audience knows what I'm talking about. And there's a terrible civil war in the Israelite nation. We have a tribe in the, in the, in the, in the tribe of Benjamin is basically being erased from the family of Israel. The uh, tribes vow that their girls will not marry with the remnants of the tribe of Benjamin, the men. And they understand that they, they, what they did basically was to totally erase the tribe because if they're not going to marry women, they're going to disappear. And so they try to find a way to bypass the vow and they mention, this is the book of Judges, the end of the book of Judges, a mysterious 
feast. It's called the Feast of the Lord. Chag Adonai, not less. It's a, now you read this and, and you, you know, everybody's thinking to themselves, oh, it's probably Sukkot or Shavuot or Pesach. Maybe it's Rosh Hashanah or you know, the Feast of Trumpets. It could be one of those feasts. And what are we, what's going on in this feast? The women of Shiloh are going out to dance in the vineyards. Okay. okay. Now we're reading this, and what's going on here? This is not... Well, we don't know this from Sinai. Yeah. This is not part of the feast, the biblical feast. This is not even Hanukkah or... or uh, right. Pure. Right. So we read the, uh, the, you know, the Jewish sages have an interesting uh, quote. They say, the two happiest days in the Jewish calendar are Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, and the feast of the 15th day of the month of Av. Okay. Okay, this is the, this is the summer, and uh, what's happening on that, on that day? The, the Israelite girls are going out in white dresses and clothes, and they dance. Okay, this is, this is the description in the Jewish sources. And so the 15th day of the month of Av, by the way, still celebrated today in Israel as the Israeli Valentine's Day, uh, is a day that had something to do with women and with vineyards and with grapes. Now, um, where does this feast come from? Uh, who invented it? Where, where did, it doesn't come from Sinai. It doesn't come from the Lord. But it's called the Feast of the Lord. Hmm. So, Bible scholars believe that what we see here is part of the Ephraimite theology. It's part of the traditions that I just mentioned, the traditions of the native Israelite tribes that have developed independently from Egypt and Sinai. Um, what we have here is a feast that is celebrating the harvest of one of Israel's most important crops, grapes. Mm -hmm. Okay, we have uh, olives, we have grain, but we also have grapes. Now, interestingly, when we see the, the different feasts, the biblical feasts that are given on Sinai, the three most important biblical feasts are Passover, Pentecost, Shavuot, and Tabernacles, Sukkot. Each of these holidays have a historical event that they commemorate, but also a harvest. Passover commemorates the Exodus. Mm -hmm. That's the historical event. But it's also the time of the harvest of the barley. Shavuot, Pentecost, is celebrating the receiving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. That's the historical event. But it's also wheat. Mm -hmm. That's the harvest of the wheat. And we read the, the scroll of Ruth, which is full of, of that element in it. And then we have tabernacles, Sukkot. That's commemorating the wandering in the desert. The tabernacle is where the Israelites lived. But it also starts, the, the commemorates the, the beginning of the olive harvest. I'm telling you, when mm. you live in Israel and you, and you live in, in these farming areas, you see it in front of you, you see how the, the, the olive orchards are being harvested during the time of Sukkot. This is the beginning. So, so we have 
a few major crops that are being commemorated, grains and olives, and we have three important historical events, the Exodus, the Torah, receiving the Torah on Sinai, and the wandering in the desert. But we have two things that are not being commemorated, a harvest and a historical event. Mm. The harvest is the grapes. Okay. Again, again, the grapes are the ma- one of the major three harvests of Israel, three crops. And we have an, a historical event that is not celebrated, the entrance to the land of Israel. Think about it. Everything that's going on in the book of Exodus has a certain direction, and that is the entrance to Israel, the, the, the settlement of the land of Israel. Where is the holiday that celebrates that? So Bible scholars are looking at the 15th of Av, but they're seeing that there's another event that's happening before that, the 9th of Av. We all know that the 9th of Av is the day of the destruction of the two temples. But it's also the day, according to the Jewish tradition, that the spies came back to the Israelites saying, the land is good, but we can't conquer it. So that day is a day of mourning. It's a day of crying because the Israelites lost their opportunity to go into the land and conquer it. But what if the Israelites said, we will go and conquer it? then the 9th of Av would have been a happy day. It would have been a day, the day of the entrance into the land of Israel. Mm. And how many days do we have between the 9th of Av and the 15th day of the month of Av? A week. Mm -hmm. Just like tabernacles, just like Passover. Uh, Interesting. And what are the spies coming back with to, to the Israelites? They're coming with grapes. grapes. So heavy that two men had to carry it. So this is the grape harvest. Mm-hmm. Everything is connecting. So here we have a, 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 an opportunity to create a, a holiday of seven days that celebrates both the harvest of the grapes and the, la- the, the entrance to the land of Israel, mm. the holiday of Israel in the summer. Unfortunately, we missed that opportunity, but according to the Jewish tradition, the 9th of Av is going to turn to a happy day. It's going to turn to a day that the Messiah is, is going to, to be part of, that, that, that's going to, to bring back the, the source of that holiday that should have been celebrated in biblical times and today, the holiday of Israel and the holiday of the grapes. Mm, interesting. You know what I find interesting too about grapes? I don't know how many people know this, but the, the, uh, the Hebrew word for uh, fruit is Ephraim. Fruits. Right. Epri, Ephraim, same, same, same source. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and you know, when, 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 we, when we talk about uh, external sources that possibly talk about this, we read about the uh, letters, the Amarna letters from Pharaoh, from, from the king of Jerusalem to, to Pharaoh. This is the year 1300 BCE, and the the king of Jerusalem is complaining to Pharaoh that the king of Shechem is aligning himself with the Apiru. Mm. Okay, who are the Apiru? Apiru is Ephraim. Okay. Oh. So we have we actually have an external source that is talking about Ephraim aligning themselves with the king of Shechem, which is also interesting because. When you read the list of conquests that Joshua made, there's a whole list of cities that he conquered. 
There are two cities that are not mentioned in the list of conquests of Joshua. That's Shechem and Shiloh. Why? Because they already belong to Ephraim. They're already, they're already part of the Ephraimite. So those battles that happened before Joshua joined with the Israelites. No, no, no. no. Joshua, when Joshua comes into the land, Shechem and Shiloh are already part of the inheritance of, ah. of, of Ephraim that are already in the land. Okay. You understand? So Joshua doesn't need to conquer them. Uh, That's why they're not on the list of conquests. That, that also proves the, the theory that Ephraim was already in the land of Israel. Mm. Wow, very interesting stuff. That, that's just fascinating to me. <laughs> the, the, the very fact that there are native Israelite tribes uh, and s- separation, I mean, who is, whoever talks about this? Is right. this common uh, knowledge in Israel? No, this is, this is totally, this is top-notch Bible. This is, this is, these are the talks among uh, Bible scholars in Israel and, and some also around the world. Um, but uh, but again, because it's it's a bit uh, maybe some some of our few viewers might think that it's a bit confusing. But uh, but for me, as, a, as as someone who loves the Bible, uh, that sheds so much so much light on on the biblical story and and answers many questions that that we that we have about things that are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, you know, the academic world, and you know, we, we spoke about the academic world a couple, a couple of episodes ago. Uh, when they see those gaps, you know, why is the half-tribe of Manasseh receiving an area that he didn't ask for? Uh, what they see is a scribe from a different period that his text was kind of uh, pasted on another text, um, which is true. But it doesn't say that the Bible was written in different time periods by different scribes who invented the story. That means that we have several traditions uh, that came together to form the book that we all believe in. And they, not, they don't disqualify the historicity of it. They actually make it more complete and prove it. Yeah, I, that, that's why a lot of uh, folks leave their churches, uh, Christian churches, because they're like, there's something missing here. There's something's not connecting the dots. And those who don't have a, a desire to uh, dive into their faith just might leave the church and say, ah, this isn't what I thought it was. But those who really have uh, a hunger to know more, they will still maybe say, well, this church isn't for me, but there's more to it. And so that's what we, that's the whole point of, of uh, a Rude Awakening International is for uh, Michael, who, who, who's with us in the studio today, that was his whole thing to say, look, there's way more to the Bible than you think there is. And it doesn't change your faith. Right. It doesn't change anything to know that his name is Yeshua and that his life uh, mirrors that of the feasts and that the, the feasts of the Israelites did happen. And so to say that there were some native Israelites, uh, I think to our audience is going to be obvious. <laughs> maybe now that they see it and it doesn't change anything it's still Jehovah still brought his people into the land uh, my only question is I don't know if you've thought about this is so if there were native Israelites there and obviously uh, you know when, when the Israelites come into the land uh, this is when uh, you know we, we are brought into the eternal kingdom it's sort of a, a mirror of that what does that say of these tribes that were already there. Have you given, ever given that any thought? What does that mean? I think that, that there was definitely a, 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 some sort of a problem there because 
I always ask myself, why, why did the kingdom split during the time of, of King David and King Solomon? I, I mean, after King Solomon, during the reign of King Rehavam, why, why, why did they? Why, why, why was it so easy for them to say we don't have a, we're not, we don't have any, any, any connection to the house of David? Mm. Why, why, where, where does it, where does it originate from? Another question I have is why were they so pagan? Okay, mm-hmm. so you know. My answer is because they already had a very land, agricultural, faith-based um, tradition prior to the entrance of the Israelites into the land. Uh, so they were basically the, uh, the soul of the earth. They were the, the ones that, the real Israelites versus the mm-hmm. new immigrants. So, so the, the reason, the reason for, one of the reasons for the split is because they felt they were the authentic Israelites, you mm. understand? Um, also, because they lived in the land of Israel, they were put to much more uh, influence by the Canaanites and the Canaanite, uh, uh, the Canaanite paganism. So when they turned to Baal and to, to other gods and, and worshiped them, as the Bible says, um, the, the reason why they're doing that is because they are in, in, in a sense, Israelites that were influenced by the Canaanite traditions and culture. So that again explains to us why there was so, so it was so hard for the Israelites to keep their monotheistic faith in the one true God of Sinai. Um, and, and so, you know, again, like you say, there's so much to, to dwell into the Bible and, and learn. And, and, you know, I'm sure that if you interview me in 10 years from now, I'll have more information and insights to share. And, you know, and it's, it's strange how each side had their own struggles. So Ephraim and Manasseh were influenced by the Canaanites. Yet, for how many hundreds of years, the rest of the group was in Egypt. Egypt. And they had learned everything about the Egyptians. And even the language, we have supposed that, you know, as they had um, the original uh, language of the Hebrew, well, it's not proto, what did you call it again? Uh, well, it has a couple of names, but the, the script that the Israelites used during the time of Moses and Joshua, it could be called uh, Sinaitic uh, alphabet or Hebrew or, or a hieroglyphic alphabet. Hieroglyphic, that's what or, I was looking or, for. Or uh, um, also called proto-alphabetic uh, alphabet, and it's definitely uh, affected by Egyptian hieroglyphs. By the way, um, I, I really invite all the audience to to subscribe to my YouTube channel. I have an interesting teaching about uh, the the effect of Egyptian culture in the books, the five books of Moses, uh, that again prove that the, 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 the book of Moses, the books of Moses were written at the time that they are speaking about. The, mm. the time of the Exodus, the time of the wandering in the desert, it's full of Egyptian symbolism because the Israelites were for were, were in Egypt for centuries. They were they had to they were speaking Egyptian. They were speaking the, the, the Egyptian culture, uh, and it's 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 all in in the five books of Moses. And and there's a reason for that. It's real. Mm. That's where that's when it was written. You know, it's what an interesting scene, and not not to promote a, a Disney movie, but many years ago there was the uh, the Prince of Egypt, uh, where everybody is. They show the Exodus, and they're escaping uh, Egypt. Um, and there's one interesting interesting thing there. I'm surprised that the movie uh, makers picked up on. So as they're passing by, you know, in in the Bible we talk about the mixed multitude. 
So we think, well, it's, it's all Israel. How could it be a mixed multitude? And in the, in the cartoon, they show that there's a, an Egyptian guard standing there, and as the Israelites are walking by, it's a very short clip, only a couple of seconds, and you have to really know what you're looking for uh, to see it, but you'll see it. Uh, the one Egyptian guard drops a spear, turns around, and goes with and the goes Israelites. With them. And, and, and I think that you know, when you look at the history of Egypt, I mean, you know, there's a discussion about when, when the exodus happened. And, you know, Tim Mahoney speaks about this in his book, in his, uh, his movie, Patterns of Evidence. Was it 1450? Was it 1250? There's this discussion going on. But uh, if we go according to the, uh, the traditional Jewish chronology and also Christian chronology, um, the exodus happened in, around the year 1450. And what we see afterwards is um, that there is a king, an Egyptian king by the name of Achen Aten, uh, who, who totally destroys paganism in Egypt and adopts a monotheistic uh, uh, theology. Mm. Okay, this is, this is why, why is this happening? Why suddenly does, does this pharaoh suddenly choose to believe in one God? So again, you know, you, it's not just the, the mixed multitudes that left Egypt and joined the Israelites. It also had an effect on the Egyptians themselves. Uh, but, you know, after the reign of Akhenaten, they came back to their pagan ways and, and continued on their Egyptian culture. But we see how deeply that affected Egypt. Interesting. And then when we get to Sinai and God shouts down his commandments, it's interesting how I would think that there would have to be people there of different languages too, not just Egyptian. You know, they had, Egypt, Egypt had slaves from many different countries. So how did they all hear it and understand it and become one people? It's just an amazing thing. It's another miracle yet to be uh, explored, yes. I guess. But All right, so we're going to talk more next week. Can we do one more week? Sure. Okay, very good. So join Aaron and myself next week on Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting this ministry. Thank you for going to Aaron's website. There it is on the bottom of your screen. We have several books here on the stage that you can uh, take advantage of. And also, uh, don't forget about Aaron's YouTube channel as well. Several teachings there you can take advantage of. So thank you for watching. You have lots of homework now to do before next week. So <laughs> we'll see you next week. Until then, Shavuot Tov.